pray before we go through this portion of scripture. Lord God, as, as Peter has already prayed this morning, I ask this morning that we wouldn't be just here going about the motions, that we wouldn't be here just mouthing words, but that we'll be, we would be here knowing that these words reveal you, the God who saves, the God who sent Jesus as his, as his as our perfect sacrifice. And Lord, as we delve into this portion of scripture, I pray that you would speak through me, minister to each one of us by your spirit, and and that that would encourage us and equip us to, to go out into these weeks, into our lives, and proclaim your goodness. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever wished for a second chance at something? Like you failed a test and you wished you could have another go at it. Have you ever wished you had a second chance at saying goodbye to a loved one? When I was in Bible college, I, and there's one thing that I wish I had a second chance at. It's nothing to do with essays or, or tests or anything like that. My car broke down one day and, and, um, and it needed a new alternator. And so, for those of you who don't know, no, I won't explain what an alternator is. <laughs> but it needed a new alternator and I called RACQ and um, we lived on the campus at the time and, and the man came out and he replaced the alternator for a really good price and, and he, he said to me, what is this place? Because we lived on the campus, there's buildings everywhere and I said, oh, it's a Bible college. And he said, what do you do here? And I fumbled and I... Erred and ard and, and I said, well, we learn about the Bible and stuff. If there was one thing that I wish I could have a second chance at, it would be that explanation. We learn about the God who saves. We learn about the God who sent Jesus as our perfect sacrifice. And here in Jonah chapter 3, we see that Jonah gets a second chance. He gets a second chance. He's called a second time by God. We've looked at Jonah chapter 1. We've, we've seen that Jonah was called initially by God to go to Nineveh. And yet he flees in exactly the opposite direction. If Nineveh is that way, Jonah's going this way. He boards a boat and he goes to Tarshish, or tries to go to Tarshish, trying to flee the, the presence of God. A mighty storm is, is sent upon this boat and eventually Jonah's tossed overboard because they know, the sailors know that it's because of him that this storm has come upon the people. Jonah gets swallowed by the whale, the fish, whatever it is, a big fish, and he spends three days in the belly of this fish 
And in those three days, he gets to a point where he realises, okay, God, you're in control. You've got a call on my life and I, I repent of the things that I've done that haven't pleased you. He vows to, to sacrifice to God. He vows to, to make recompense for the things that he has done wrong. And now in chapter 3 we see that, that Jonah is, well, initially he's spat out out of the fish and he gets called a second time. God is a God of second chances. Not just second chances, but second, third, fourth, fifth, umpteen different chances. In in fact, God doesn't ever give up on us. If he calls us, he saves us, he doesn't give up on us. Aren't you grateful that we serve a God who doesn't give up on us? Throughout the Bible we see different figures that, that receive God's mercy. Adam sinned in the garden and God covered his sin. Moses murdered a man and God called him to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. Elijah quit and complained and said no, and yet God recommissioned him. Peter denied the Lord Jesus Christ three times, and yet God used him mightily at Pentecost to start his church. One illustration of a really good second chance is called a mulligan. If you play golf, you'll know what a mulligan is. A mulligan is, a, is an opportunity for us to, to hit a second good shot. So you've got two balls. You, just think of this. You, I don't play golf very often. But you line up with your shot... Your back swing's perfect, your follow through is perfect, you hit the ball perfectly and it sails straight down the fairway. And then it gradually swings right and into the trees, deep into the trees, into the rough. But don't worry, you've got a mulligan. You've got a second shot. If you're anything like me, a mulligan is an opportunity to just hit a worse shot. Jonah gets his second chance at being called by God this morning in chapter 3. He hooks up his GPS to his camel and he sets a course for Nineveh. 500 miles in the, the exact opposite direction that he wanted to go. Let's listen to his internal monologue. It might have gone something like this. Great. 500 miles in the exact opposite direction that I want to go. Let's bake in the sun for about a month and go and, go and stand in the public square of the, the capital city of the terrorist world and tell them about how God is going to bring disaster upon them if they don't stop being mean to everybody. Sounds like fun. Might be, might be a good trip, might be a good holiday. I wonder if they'll impale me straight away or, or whether they'll just hit me on the head and allow the dogs to eat me. It doesn't say that Jonah whined, but he had a long trip to, to complain about. They were probably all out of air-conditioned camels at Joppa. 
It was probably a very hot, stinky trip when you're smelling like fish fish guts and camel. But nevertheless, Jonah obeys God. And he goes into the city, and we see this in verse 3 and 4. He goes into the city and he says, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. For those of you who like a short, simple sermon, Jonah is your preacher. Mine will be a little bit longer this morning. I don't think this is an ideal method of, of preaching about God. For one, it seems as though Jonah pretty much sabotages his own preaching. And I wonder if he does this on purpose. He doesn't mention anything about God. He doesn't mention anything about his history of saving the Israelites or why God's judgment was coming upon the Ninevites. I mean, imagine if I went into Brisbane CBD this morning and shouted, 40 days and Brisbane shall be overthrown. I'd have the police there and an ambulance and a straitjacket. How should we approach telling people about God? Well, for one, God must be mentioned. But especially in our evolutionary um, flavoured society where people swallow evolution as the, the ideal, God must be mentioned as creator, that he created us, that he created this earth that we live on, everything in it. And the fact that without God, we are nothing. Without God, that we are destined for for destruction, destined for eternity without him. There's also a need that, that there is nothing we can do in order to escape this. In and of ourselves, we cannot escape God's judgment. That no matter how good we are or how good we try to be, there is no way we can stack up against God's standard. And this is where the good news starts, is that Jesus comes in, comes into the story of God's history, and he is the one and only Son of God. He is the one who has done everything for us to have favour with God. Our substitute, our sacrifice and our saviour. All we need to do is to submit to him, to trust him and obey him. But having said all of this, again, Jonah's idea of of preaching, street preaching, I don't think the the method of his preaching is, is effective. I think that relationship in, is in, important in this case. Not just going and, and preaching out of obligation, out of, out of the, just to, to make more disciples or to win converts, to show how spiritual we are. But to first see the person as a human being and not just a face in the crowd or not just another person in the, in the group. But also another point, important point to remember is that it's no reflection on us or our preaching or our sharing the gospel with them. 
that if they don't make a decision there and then, it's, it's not our fault. If we have been diligent in sharing God's good news with them and they don't come to a position of faith, we've still done our part that we're called to do. One of the most important aspects of telling someone about God, about sharing your faith with someone is, do I love this person enough to share the good news? Do I love this person enough to warn them of the coming disaster? To tell them of the great love that God has for them? Do I love this person? I think it's clear from Jonah's preaching this morning that he didn't love the Ninevites. He didn't give a stuff about them. They were his enemies. They were the enemies of the people of God and and he didn't want to go. He didn't want to see God save them. Here's some revolutionary teaching on real love. What's so great if you only love those who love you? Even terrorists do that. If that's all your love amounts to, God is certainly not involved. Or suppose you are friendly to our kind of people. So is the mafia. This is a contemporary translation by Dallas Willard of of Matthew 5, 46 and 47. I'll read verses 44 to 48 to you. Jesus says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Some challenging words there. In verses 5 to 9, we see the response of the the Ninevites. We see that it was positive in spite of the fact that Jonah was the the most lacklustre evangelist to ever come out of Israel. In spite of the fact that he didn't care about the Ninevites, their response is that they believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. This goes to show, folks, that God's salvation can come to those who who we don't love, whom sometimes we deem unworthy, those who get a dart as an evangelist. God's salvation can come to those who sometimes we even despise. Picture this, you're in the, in the park on a Saturday morning with your family and a guy comes and sits down at the, at the park bench not too far away. He's got ruffled hair, he's covered in tattoos, 
He's got a brown paper bag with a whiskey bottle in it. Do you give him the time of day? Or do you say, kids, time to go? If he comes over to you and asks you for the hope that you have in Jesus Christ, and I know this doesn't happen very often, but think of it. If he, he came to you would, you, would you share your faith with him? Or would you see him as someone who is despised even by God? God doesn't despise anyone. What if he came in here this morning and sat the third row from the front? Would you move further away? Or would you welcome him? If he came to God in true repentance, God would welcome him into his family. Would you be willing to do the same? Don't get me wrong, we need to protect our families from bad guys. But this is something we need to think about. There is no one outside of God's love. There is no one that is, is unworthy of God's love because he can save a sinner like me, like you. If he can save me, if he can save you, he can save anyone, can't he? Just because God will save those whom he will save, just because God will have mercy on those whom he wishes to have mercy, this doesn't mean we need to sit on our hands as well and not be prepared to share our faith when the time comes, the opportunity arises. Even though Jonah was a bit of a lacklustre prophet, his prophecy comes true. Nineveh was overthrown in less than 40 days. It was turned on its head. The king, who was the greatest of them, repented and humbled himself and became the least of them. From the least of them to the greatest of them, they repented of their sin. How often do we as Christians, how often do we as the people of God mourn our sin in this same sort of way as we, as we come around the communion table shortly? Do we spend time either figuratively or literally sending, sitting in sackcloth and ashes, giving up the daily pressures of, of the, not the daily pressures, the daily comforts of life in order to show God that we are truly repentant for our sin. Are we truly repentant of our sin? Are we truly grateful of the grace that has been shown to us? Or are we just mouthing words? Do we take for granted that God has not given up on us yet? Do we use that to our advantage? In verse 10, we see that there is good news for the Ninevites. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. 
and he did not do it. I started off saying that God is the God of second chances. And there's few statements that are agreed upon across Christianity in the, as a whole, across churches and denominations. But don't for a second misunderstand this statement. God giving us second and third and fourth and, and umpteen different chances doesn't mean that it does mean that he doesn't write us off as soon as we blow it. He doesn't get to, okay, you've had seven chances, I'm done with you. Don't misunderstand this statement that God is a God of second chances in that he clears our debt of sin and disobedience and then says, okay, have another try. Try harder this time. It's like me saying to you, okay, I've, I've brushed you off, I've dusted you off, I've dressed your wounds, now have another go at climbing this rock face without rope or climbing equipment. You just can't do it. It's like me playing golf with mulligans. Thankfully, the gospel of Jesus proclaims so much greater than that. Something so much greater than that. It says that sinners don't need a second chance, they need a perfect substitute. One who gets it right the first time. Because of the forgiveness of sins and the imputed righteousness or, or righteousness that is credited to our account, we don't have to earn redemption through a series of fresh starts, of second chances. Jesus secured our redemption through his perfect life, his perfect death and sacrifice and his ultimate resurrection, his amazing resurrection. And that righteousness, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, that righteousness is credited to you. What about the Ninevites? Didn't they get a second chance? Writing about them, about Old Testament believers, but more importantly, writing about Abraham. The Apostle Paul writes in, in Romans 4.11, he says, Abraham, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. The Ninevites believed God. They repented and they had righteousness credited to their account. This may be the scripture's clearest verse tying together the thread of, of Old Testament believers and New Testament believers. Old Testament believers weren't saved by their sackcloth and ashes or their sacrifices or their temple worship. These were just merely signs that pointed themselves to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. 
The Ninevites didn't get a clean slate. They received the gift of righteousness that comes through faith, just as we do. If we cap off this account of Jonah with the second chance ending, we plague the Ninevites with a burden of maintaining flawless righteousness after their repentance. And that's not what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. They couldn't achieve this righteousness any more than we can today. No wonder Jonah's complaint doesn't have anything to do with I knew you were a God of second chances. No, look in verse 2 of chapter 4. He prays to God after the the disaster is relented. Well, God relents of the disaster. He says, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. It's for these cross-bought gifts of grace and mercy. that we don't have a a hope of a second chance. We have Christ's righteousness credited to our account. And that we as believers can draw near to God with confidence, as Hebrews 4.16 says. We shouldn't be enticed by proverbial sayings such as, you have a fresh start on life. Through Jesus you have a second chance. Rather we should proclaim with vigour that our Saviour's righteousness is credited to our account. It is perfectly sufficient to earn God's favour. As we go from here this morning after we come around the communion table if the stewards had come forward please that would be great. I want you to know that God doesn't write us off as soon as we blow it. Instead, he gives us something far greater than a second chance. He gives us the righteousness of Jesus by his perfect sacrifice. I know I've repeated that multiple times, but it's too good to not repeat. He gives us the right to be children of God and by, by his Holy Spirit he also gives us the ability to, to grow in obedience and follow him and not needing second, third, fourth, fifteenth, twenty-first chances. Isn't this something to praise God about? I want to read you this. It's from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God.
Be reminded this morning that we are ambassadors for Christ. If we are believers in Jesus Christ, we are his ambassadors, God making his appeal through us. And if you haven't already, I implore you, I urge you, I fervently urge you to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ so that you might have his righteousness so that you might not need the second chance but that you would know that you have God's favour through the perfect sacrifice of his blood and his body broken for us if you haven't been reconciled to God it is better for you to not, not partake this morning but to come and speak to myself or, or any one of the elders. If you have been reconciled to God, know that you have his righteousness. If there is a time that you need to spend sitting in figurative sackcloth and ashes, do that. Don't come to God just going through the motions. This is a, a very significant part of our faith, folks. As the elders pass, the, the stewards pass the, um, the emblems around, I, I just ask that you would take the bread in your own time and um, hold the, the cup and we'll drink together.